Hi everyone, Griffin Marie here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday, which means it is time for the week in review and preview. Our conversation will center around the market's reaction following the last week's FOMC meeting as well as the role of the Federal Reserve, outlook for rates, fixed income, and a whole lot more. So I am excited to be joined today by Leslie Falconio, a senior fixed income strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Leslie, it's great to be with you and looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you. So Leslie, kicking things off here, Treasury markets have since cooled off from the post-FOMC volatility we saw last week and into earlier this week. Do you have a take for us on the current market conditions and rates? Yeah, I mean, let's, let's sort of take a look at interest rates even before the FOMC meeting. What we're seeing is that the nominal yields were somewhat capped, meaning that they weren't rising higher. And the reason that was is that break-even inflation expectations actually started to decline even prior to the FOMC meeting. And they were declining because the market was starting to believe the rhetoric of the Fed that, that in fact, these inflation numbers were transitory. So even when we received this large CPI print of like 5% year over year, the market really, you know, inflation expectations didn't actually move higher because they're starting to believe the rhetoric of the Fed. So then when we shift to the Fed meeting, uh, what surprised the market, however, was how preemptive the Fed rhetoric was. And pricing in that 50 basis points of interest rates hike in 2023 had really caught the market off guard. And as a result of that, inflation expectations continue to decline very quickly because as the, as the Fed hikes, the, the economy becomes uh, uh, very restrictive mm-hmm. and also yields decline very quickly. However, that yield decline, if we look over a week over week change in the 10 year Treasury yield, although the volatility was very high because we went down to about a 1.36% nominal yield or 1.38% 10 year nominal yield, the week over week, the change is only about two basis points. So if you went away and came back, you'd be like, nothing happened. And when that happens, normally what this dictates to us, and we, we see this through futures positioning as well, is this was investors being caught offside. So this large volatility we saw last week was position-driven, not driven by fundamentals. So as we enter into this week, and a lot of those bad positions, if you will, are sort of cleared out, it's been very a slow move. Volatility's come down. You've been much more in this range in terms of the 10-year yield. We haven't moved a tremendous amount either way. And, you know, we think now the short-term range will be between 140 and 170. But we can't excuse the fact that we did see this 135 and 10-year yield. But even if we have these pockets of vulnerability, they'll mostly be on a short-term sort of technical than a longer-term fundamental. So our view hasn't changed into the, towards the end of the year, which is still for interest rates to rise. You mentioned the Fed dot plot at the start there, Leslie, and obviously we've received a lot of Fed speak over the past couple of weeks. I'm curious to hear, what's your assessment of some of the comments from the Fed members as well as your assessment of the Fed's role going forward? Well, I mean, I, am I, you know, we you can sort of see it in, in Powell's Q&A that there might have been a bit of a dislocation in terms of what he was thinking and how the dots progressed because he, he in and of itself in the statement said, take these with a grain of salt. And, you know, frankly, you don't know what's going to happen by 2023. I mean, we all have a very positive outlook on the economy. You know, the Fed is 6.5% GDP. We have slightly higher, you know, 5.5% in 2022. So as we have this sort of reopening and re-engaging continue, the economy should continue stronger. But there is a variance in terms of the doves and the hawks. The biggest issue, I think, in terms of the Fed rhetoric is in relation to QE. And not just in terms of when they should stop QE, 
but really, what, what should, they, should they stop first? So a lot of the rhetoric this week has been with members stating that they believe because the housing market is so strong, because household balance sheets are so strong, that they should stop QE and the mortgage-backed securities market, you know, first before the Treasury. And as we know, they're buying $120 billion a month, $80 billion goes to Treasuries, $40 billion goes to mortgage-backed securities. And the biggest rhetoric of the dislocation is saying they should stop mortgages first. Now, because mortgages and treasuries are very highly correlated, I don't think that they do that. I think that they'll start to taper both together. We still expect a pre-announcement in Jackson Hole in August, an announcement in the fall to start tapering QE in the first quarter of 2022. And more than likely, they will do that simultaneously. You know, expectation right now is $10 billion in Treasuries and $5 billion in MBS. That mix might change. But I don't think that they'll stop, issue, uh, they'll stop our taper QE in the MBS side first because, again, it would be very disruptive to the mortgage market and it would be very disruptive to the housing market, which is something that they don't want to see regardless of how well the housing market is doing right now. Putting these ideas into practice, Leslie, where do you see opportunities in the market right now? And what is CIO's outlook and positioning recommendations for fixed income investors at the moment? Well, one of the key takeaways that you know investors can take some solace with when we saw the volatility last week in interest rates was that credit spreads actually tightened. And when credit spreads tighten with that kind of volatility, it tells you that that wasn't what we call a risk-off rally, mm -hmm. meaning that treasuries are going down very quickly in yields, very quickly, but it wasn't because investors were concerned about their risk assets. In other words, they weren't selling risk assets and buying treasuries. It was really just the, the positioning that I had mentioned earlier. So going forward, our view is that, you know, look, there's no question that the opportunity set within fixed income is very narrow. We're at spread levels that we've, you know, think for things like IG corporates that we haven't seen since 2005 and high yield, it's, you know, maybe, you know, 2017, 18. And these are somewhat of late cycle credit spread type of environment. But the fundamental or the, or the economic cycle is not late stage. It's actually late early or maybe early middle. So these spreads could stay here for some period of time. However, we are a bit more cautious on the investment grade corporate side for a few reasons. One is because the actual spread in and of itself is incredibly tight. Two, you're going into a time period during the summer where, you know, you kind of have the investor demand kind of wanes a little bit. You have these seasonals that could push spreads wider. And also, too, the, the difference in terms of the index is much different today than it was back in 2005. And we're going to we're going to be writing about this in our next month fixed income strategist, which is due out on Thursday. But our positioning right now remains for a rise in rates, but we have more of a barbell strategy, taking advantage of those that are you know might be more of inflation protection, like in commercial mortgage-backed securities, mm -hmm. and those such as senior loans, which not only are inflation protection because they're floating rate, but overall are still earning a, a tremendous amount of carry without taking interest rate risk. And you know, even though spreads are not as wide as they were, we think they have potential to tighten further. Excellent. Thank you for that, Leslie. Now, uh, turning to sort of the macro picture, are there any key uh, data points that you want to highlight from this week for us? You know, the biggest data point, in my opinion, happened today, and it was the PCE. Mm -hmm. And you know, everyone, as we talk about inflation, we talk about inflation expectations, we talk about consumer demand and reengaging this sort of you know reopening and reengaging convergence. You know, PCE is a number that we look at, and it came out a little bit lighter than what we had thought in terms of, you know, the month-over-month -month basis. And, you know, spending was a bit of a miss. But what's interesting about this, again, this is just a one-month snapshot, but what's interesting about this, the core PCE, the year-over-year, 
right, is still the highest that it's been since April of 1992. But people are expecting, people have high expectations now, given that consumers are reengaging in the economy. But again, this is just sort of this, this one print. And with that said, we're not seeing this big decline in Treasury yields because, because overall we're still setting these you know, multi-decade highs because of these base case effects. So the biggest one was, was PCE, a little bit lighter than uh, what was anticipated, but still strong overall. Absolutely. So turning to our final question here, Leslie, what should investors focus on as they prepare for the week ahead? The only thing investors are really going to be looking at next week is non-farm payroll. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're going to get a little preclimpse of the ADP on Wednesday, but non-farm payroll, you know, will be the, the big number next week. Consensus is running, you know, probably about 700000 And But as we know, um, you know, we have seen in previous non-farm payroll reports, the expectations versus the actual has, has seen a large divergence. And, you know, look, I mean, you know, a 700,000 non-farm payroll uh, report, even the 500,000 or 600,000 we saw last month is still incredibly strong. It's just much less than expectation. So, you know, we're going to have things like ISM manufacturing, which is projected about 61 on on the first, but that's not as big a mover. It's really about non-farm payroll, consensus of 700,000, you know, with the unemployment rate falling from a 5.8 to a 5.6, average hourly earnings, um, you know, month over month are expected to stay relatively flat at that 0.4.5 level. But the key will be on that. And the key will be on whether or not some of the reopenings that we've seen, some of the, some of the back to offices that we've seen around the country, you know, really comes into play in terms of having that non-farm payroll really move higher. But at the end, there's still 15 million, around 15 million individuals that are still receiving, you know, employment subsidies. So the, in our opinion, the big push in non-farm will probably come towards the end of the year when these subsidies expire, combined with you have, you know, in, in this kids back to school and, you know, people really back to work. But that's going to be the big one next week is non-farm on Friday. Absolutely, Leslie. Now, great conversation today on what has been another fascinating week in the markets. And we thank you for joining us and sharing your insights and looking forward to having you back on sometime soon. Thanks so much. Again, we have been joined today by Leslie Falconio, a senior fixed income strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com studios to view the entire podcast offering as the UBS trending video series. So from UBS Studios, I'm Griffin Marie, and thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment
investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 